Would you please lift it up and say, this is my Bible. It is the word of God. I'll go where it says I can go. I will achieve what it says I can achieve. I'll be what it says I can be. Slap your chest and say, I am a believer. Come on, do it again. Say, I am a believer. I want to summon your senses and invite your intellect to the book of St. Matthew's Gospel. I want to do St. Matthew's Gospel, chapter number 8. There is something God has laid on my heart, and um, it's just about the Christ. And um, I want to share some few thoughts on that. It's in Matthew's Gospel, chapter number 8. I have my son here also, um, Osofu Fred, who will do... He doesn't want to be an Osofu, but uh, for how long can you run? I mean, for how long? You want to be swallowed by a whale? <laughs> and you're on the whale to spit you out? Yes. On the land of assignment yes. before you surrender to God. In the book of St. Matthew's Gospel, chapter number 8, inviting your minds and hearts to uh, the verse number 23. And when he was entered into a ship, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. And his disciples came to him and woke him, saying, Lord, save us. We perish. And he said unto them, Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds in the sea, and there was a great calm. But the men marveled, saying, What manner of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Heavenly Father, we know the grass will wither, the flower will fade, but your word will abide forever. We pray that in this time that you've given to us, to give us a word that works. Anoint these lips of clay. Make it an instrument of a blessing to somebody's life. Oh God, speak to me. Speak through me. Speak for me. That the excellency of the power will be of you. When it's all done, your people will be edified. And you will be glorified. In the name of the one who rules, reigns, and has regency, Christ Jesus, the Son of the living God, we have prayed. Amen. I want you to look for seven people and just tell them, Jesus, just mention their all-powerful name to them. Just, just mention the name of Jesus. I want you to, I'm counting how many people you are talking to. Um, I know some the of you. champion of the horse above. You can take your seats if you have. He's the captain of my destiny. In you, Jesus, I made my boast. And I am 
There is something about the the cheese songs. I know most of you are very bougie, you know. You you like you like the English songs, but when you hear the oja oja, you know there is it ignites something. That's why when when people want to destroy a people, they attack their language because there is something about your mother tongue there is something about your language that does something to even to your spirit man but let's get back to scripture you know preaching on this platform is always a difficult thing you know coming to reverend eric eric's place to preach is difficult because he's a teacher he's a preacher for us we are is trying to to preach like he does. And we have a long way to go. But it's exciting because it gives you an opportunity to contribute 
something that is needed or required as far as the kingdom is concerned. Man of God, we want to say that God bless you for your years of service and your dedication and love and the word you've given over the years and the period. Your work speaks for you. Your work it speaks for you. And um, we are excited that God allowed you to serve in the generation that we also see. Um, we didn't want to read about you in a book. We wanted to experience you. We thank God for allowing us to experience you. Uh, teaching from the book of St. Matthew's Gospel is a very interesting. Um, actually, St. Matthew's Gospel is a very interesting book. Uh, because of the nature of the people that he was writing to. Um, the minister is also called Matthew, so maybe his book. Um, but teaching from that, and you get to the verse number 23, and the Bible uses, and they went into a ship with his disciples, tells you that there is something before, because that is just a conjunction. And if you read a test in the middle of a test, Without understanding the pretest, it's possible that you're going to preach out of contest. And because it's a continuum, you, you need to understand where the writer was coming from. And uh, the Bible was not written in chapters. It was written as, as, as a thought. Somebody was writing, giving an account of his experiences and what he has been giving. Now, to make it easier, we had to break it down to chapters with verses so that you'll be able to at least make references and not come through the whole scriptures when you are looking for something specific. And so, if we are to go into that and you go to the historicity of the text, you realize that this writer called Matthew, writing to the Jewish people, will start the chapter number one, um, writing about chapter one to chapter four, talking about the humanity of the Christ. And so you break them into segments and you see that chapter 1 to chapter number 4 was just about his humanity. There is nothing more to that because in chapter number 1, he's talking about his background. He's talking about um, the, the genealogy of the Christ. And so he will start by talking about the genealogy of the Christ, starting to talk about a son of Abraham, uh, the, the son of David, a son of Abraham. And if he uses the son of David, what he's talking about is kinship because the son of David will automatically be a king. And he talks about the son of Abraham because in, in Abraham, his son is not supposed to be a king. His son is supposed to be a sacrifice. And so he introduces Jesus as somebody who was born a king but left the scene as a sacrifice to the people. And so chapter 1 talks about uh, his genealogy, his background. You come to chapter number 2 and he's no more talking about his background. He's now talking about his birth. And he talks about the royal birth. He talks about how things were. The father, the mother, there was no place for them in the inn. It's not that they were poor because you hear that assertion being made by many that they were poor and they could not afford a hotel or a motel. But that's not true because the Bible says that they searched but there was no 
place for them in the inn. It means that the places were occupied and this Christ had to be born in a place that was not desirable. But interestingly, it tells you that the beginning of a man doesn't matter because if the king of kings was born in an undesirable condition, it means that no matter where you are coming from, your latter can be greater than your past. Can I sermonically pause and, and just prophesy to you before we get there? No matter where you are coming from, may God engineer your tomorrow to be bigger and better than where you are coming from. Your beginning might be humble, but your end will greatly increase and be different from where you are coming from. Please take your seats because I'm just warming up into the test. You get to the verse number three and he's no more talking about his birth, but he's talking about his baptism. And he's now telling you that he, he went into, of course, he went into the water, which is to talk about his death. He went under the water, which is to talk about his burial. He came out of the water, which is to talk about his resurrection and ascension. And so you have to understand that whatever condition you find yourself in is not going to be permanent. There is a place in your life that you get into your water, under your water, but you will not stay in the water forever because God will always give you the ability to come out of the water. You might, things might overrun you and overshadow you, but it's just a temporal place you find yourself. God will always bring you to the place where you will come out of the water. God will bring you to that place. You get to the chapter number four. He's no more talking about the baptism. He's not talking about the birth. He's not talking about the background. But chapter number four, he's talking about the battles of the Christ. That is where the devil came after him and destiny was under siege. His destiny was confronted. He was buffeted on every side. The devil was after him. And I have realized that when the when the Lord God wants to bless you, the devil will want to blast you. When the Lord God wants to elevate you, the devil will come after you. Jesus encountered battles right after there had been an announcement that this is the Son of God. You know when people who are born again encounter troubles and afflictions, when there is an announcement in heaven and the earth bears witness that this one is a product of God, that is why the devil is after you. Because there has been an announcement in the heavenly places and the earth has borne witness that there is something mighty on your life and there is contention. Look at somebody and say there is contention. There is contention. Anytime there is destiny to be fulfilled there will always be contention. There is nobody in history who has become great without going through contention. People don't like you. It's part of destiny. People are coming after you. It's part of destiny. There has been an announcement and because of of that announcement they are coming after you but I came to just say another word to you you are going to come out victorious because that is not the end of the story the story doesn't end with a battle it ends with a triumph and so the battle is nothing it's just a precursor that God is about to set a table before can I prophesy to somebody in this in this auditorium God is about to set a table before you so there is always a battle before the elevation. There is always a battle. Look at somebody and say, there is always a battle before the elevation. There is always 
a battle before the elevation. You get to chapter because it's a continuum. I have to just uh, mentally give you a mental map of why there was that conjunction. In the chapter number five, you get there and he's now talking about you being the light of the world, which means that you are not ordinary. You are not a mere statistics in this world. You, you did not just come to add to the numbers of Ghana. You are here to make an indelible print in the sands of time. You are in Ghana so that the world will know that God raised a champion for a generation. May you be the champion God is raising. May your children be the champions that God is raising. May you be the champion that God is raising for a generation. You are the light. You are not the light of the earth. You are the light of the world. Because God created his earth, but you create your world. And once you create your world, you're supposed to be that luminary. That gives that luminous intensity to your environment. You are the one that is supposed to bright every corner of your family and workplace and so when they say that there is a demon and an ancestral curse over your family tell them yes that was the case until i was born because when i came here i became the light of the family that light shines in darkness and darkness comprehends i wish i was talking to open heavens people because I know how you are. I know you are word people. May that light shine in your darkness. And I declare over you that darkness will not. You are the light of your world. You are the salt of the earth. And so God is saying that there is supposed to be some mileage wherever you are there. Your life is supposed to be a preservative. Your life. Your existence. The other day when Paul came to that realization, he said unto them, Brothers, keep quiet. Don't fret. Don't you know that I am here? Everybody's going to make it safely to shore. You're not going to die on the sea. Don't you know that I am here? A covenant child is on the boat as well. I'm a preservative. Look at somebody and say, I'm a preservative. Oh, no, no. Look at another and say, I am a preservative. Tell somebody, if you are around me, you have to thank God for my life because I am a preservative. Wherever I go, I preserve lives, I preserve people, I preserve governments, I preserve nations. I am a preservative. I am. I am a preservative. You get to your chapter number six. I'm going to wrap it up very soon. I just want to hurriedly get out of my introduction. You get to chapter number 6 and the Bible says that this same Jesus is now talking to them and he's now giving them the preamble to prayer. He has spoken to them about how to pray. He has said all of that. And he now had to settle them on every stress point. In fact, psychologists say that there are five areas where people fret. There are five areas, five major areas where people get stress. As finance, as their food, is their future, their future, their food, their finances, their fashion. And they are fit. So your fitness, your food, your fashion, your finances, and your future. Five things. You get to chapter number 6, the verse number 23, 24, and 25. And Jesus said, do not stress yourself about what you will eat or drink. Taking care of fashion and food. 
Then he talks to them and said, do not be mindful of your body. Do not stress yourself over your body. That's your fitness. Chapter number 6, the verse number 19, he said, uh, he talked about treasures. And so he was telling them, be settled even on your finances. I want to pray for you before I preach to you. That any area of stress in your life, whether it's your future, that's how he opened it. He said, do not be stressed about your future. About your future. Do not be worried or stressed about your life. That's how he starts the verse. He was talking about the stress because we are human beings. You look at yourself today and you have so much trouble thinking, how is tomorrow going to pan out? You're worried about the future. You're worried that when things go south, how are you going to survive? How are things going to be? You are worried about the future. Jesus said in the chapter number 6 that all the stress points that psychologists have come up with, put them on me. Do not be worried because the lilies of the valley, the, the birds of the air, your father clothes them and, and feeds them. And you're saying that every stress in your life, you have to know that it's been lifted off you. So I came to prophesy over somebody that any area of stress that your life has encountered will lift stress off your life. May the stress to do with your fitness, the stress to do with your future, the stress to do with your finances, the stress to do with your food, the stress to do with your fashion. May God take care of your life and pull you out of it. May the Lord supply. I wish I could preach to you from that test only. But you get to the chapter number 7 and he's now saying that he has not arrogated power to anybody. And so nobody should arrogate unto themselves power to judge other people. Get to chapter number 7 and he's saying that do not judge. Because it's not easy to be a judge. You have to go through law school and be called to the bar and be evaluated by your peers and be promoted or called to the bench. We study you on the lower part of the ladder until we get you to the Supreme Court. And even to get to the Supreme Court is by a presidential appointment. Now what it means is that God is saying that you have not been trained enough to see every side of the story to make an informed decision because most of us, we make judgment based on observation. But observation without information will be a distortion. And so a lot of us make judgment based on distorted information that we have. And God is saying that don't judge. Because when you hear something about somebody, it's just a minute part of the story that you have heard. So whoever you are judging, God is saying that I have not given you the power to judge another person. That's chapter number seven. So most of you that are sitting on your high horses, judging everybody that comes to church. Who is this? This lady, no, this lady shouldn't be in our church. This lady, she is too spoiled. She is too this. She is too that. He is too this. He is too that. Actually, the gospel was not for the holy. Jesus did not die for the clean. He died for the unclean. Jesus did not die. In fact, his death is for redemption. 
That means that they were locked in a place but pulled them out of a place. And so when somebody is coming to church, Jesus is pulling them. Jesus is pulling somebody. So allow people to be pulled by God and get down from your throne of judgment. But interestingly, that's not why I came here today. I'm not preaching chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5. I'm not preaching chapter 6 or chapter 7. I'm not even preaching chapter 8. I'm just going to talk to you about some few verses in chapter number 8. Because here is Jesus. Now, after going through all those uh, rudiments and, and all those teachings with the people, Jesus had now boarded the boat with people. His own people. But he was tired. And he slept. Uh, you read the test, and I believe that you will agree with me that there is a tension in the test. Because uh, they were all working together. So how could you be so tired that you've sleep so fast? And Jesus was asleep. And the Bible says the tempestuous storms came against them. So their boat was buffeted on every side, and they feared for their lives. They knew they were going to die. They, they, could, they could see death approaching. So they went to Jesus and said, Oh boy, you didn't sleep. Are you kidding me? Carest thou not that we perish? Can't you see that we are dying? And that, that there is a... I could understand them. Because if truly you are God, and the Bible says you neither slumber nor sleep. Why is it that you are in my boat? Because the Oregans wrote in the 4th and 5th century that there was no doubt that the boat there can be a typology of the lives of people. That you can have Jesus in your life and at a point in your life you might think that he's asleep. And most of us have got into that place where we think that although we have Jesus and, and maybe I'm talking to myself, I'm fasting but I don't see him. I am praying but I'm not seeing him. I am giving seats but I'm not seeing him. Every time I'm the first to get to church but it still appears that this same Jesus is sleeping on me here. He is sleeping. Jesus, carest thou not. I've served you faithfully. Worshipped you diligently. I come before your throne. Whilst others are going on and making runs and, and doing all of that, I, I'm not a run scale. I do, I do everything. Why is it that things are not happening for me? Carest thou not? The other, the other people in the same industry who don't even know you and they don't fellowship and they don't worship and they don't pray and they don't do all that. They have their things going on well for them. Why is it that I am the one praying, fasting, believing you for things and yet my life appears to be at carest thou not that we perish. There is, there is a conflict because at that time they didn't know whether it was Jesus that they heard in his hypostatic union the one that is fully God that was at work but at the time it was it was maybe the one that was fully man because he was sleeping but they couldn't lift the veil and see another side of that man maybe as, as it was written in the dialogue of Adamantius um, um, Adamantius in his work in 4th and 5th BC he wrote something and I quote he said that he was not asleep in the spirit he 
he was asleep in the flesh because if Jesus was truly asleep, he wouldn't have known that it was actually the winds that he should speak to. He said that they were only looking at him judging from his human perspective. But at every point in time, when you are walking with God, you are supposed to look beyond the physique or the physical side of Jesus. Well, they saw him and they did not see God. They saw the flesh because at that point, he was human and he was God. And we get to that place in, in our lives where the conflict will always live side by side. Because on his human side, just as he was a little boy in the class, in the, in the synagogue, and he was preaching and they, they were baffled. And I believe they asked him, how old are you? And I believe that he told them, well, on my mother's side, I'm only 12 years of age. But on my father's side, the divinity, I am the creator of time. On my, on my mother's side, in my humanity, if you judge me by my humanity, I am only a boy. But on my father's side, I am the creator of man. On my mother's side, in my humanity, I might need bread from another boy. That boy, what do you have? I have five loaves of bread and two fishes. And so in his humanity, he might need bread from a boy. But in his divinity, he is the bread of life. In his humanity, he might need water from the woman that was sitting by the well. But in his divinity, he is the living water. In his humanity, he might need a door being made by other people. In his divinity, he is the door. In his humanity, he might need a way to go through. But in his divinity, he is the way, the truth, and the life. And so when Jesus, this Jesus, happens to be in the life of an individual, there is nothing that he cannot do. When they were looking at him as a man, this Jesus got up and the Bible says, Can, can I preach to you? The Bible says Jesus got up and Jesus did not have any banter with them because... Things that are spiritual can have any form of physical conversation. The people who are not spiritual, there is no way they can understand spiritual things. So Jesus knew it was a waste of time engaging them into any form of spiritual debate. That is why sometimes when people are questioning you, the best thing to do is to be quiet. Because where you are coming from, they will not understand you. Jesus got up, did not yawn, did not ask them, okay, could you please get me my raiment or my regalia? Jesus did not ask them, where is my stick or my apparel? Why? Because it's only in this generation that we think that the might and the power of God is in mightes or staff. You don't need a special apparel to deploy what God has given to you. You can be in your shorts and demons will fear you. No, let me talk to somebody who believes God. You can look dark and short and yet demons will be afraid of you. You, you, you can look all that and yet demons will be scared of you. May God raise champions in this house. Where wherever you go, demons will even know that you came around. Jesus got up and said, peace, be still. And the wind ceased. And the men were marveled. And scripture says, they, they said, what manner of man is this? 
that even the seas and the winds obey him. Well, the, of course, still in the work of Adamantius, an orthodox protagonist, he wrote in defense of the gospel against Gnosticism. And he wrote, he said when they said that it was not a question that they were asking. Because if they were asking a question, then it would have required an answer given directly by Jesus or another person. But that language was not a question. It was an affirmation of his identity and person. That is to mean that if you are talking about Jesus, there is no doubt that even the elements and inanimate objects obey him. So if inanimate objects obey Jesus, then demons have to bow, then forces have to obey, then witches will have to bow, then everything will have to bow. Why? Because all that Adamantius was saying that it is a known reason that wherever Jesus is, everything inanimate and animate objects have to succumb to his authority and power. That means that if Jesus is in your life, there is no weapon formed or fashioned against you. I wish I was talking to somebody in this place. If truly there is Jesus in your life, then a thousand shall fall on your left. Then ten thousand shall fall on your right. It shall not come near you. Only with your eyes you shall see. Oh, I wish I was talking to somebody who is here. If Jesus... The question was asked by the inquisitor. So when Jesus said unto the seas and the storms and the winds to be calm, was it his humanity that was talking or his divinity? I will come back and say it was both. It was both because he spoke in a language that other people could understand. That means that when you walk with Jesus, you get to a place where you transcend the human realm. So you are still walking with people as a flesh walking. But there is something on the inside of you that wherever you get to, when you begin to speak, people can testify that greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. May the Lord get you to that place where there will be that transcendent power at work in your life. May God bring you to that place where things will begin to align for you. And the seas obeyed. And the winds obeyed. And the forces obeyed. I got excited about it because to obey in that regard means to be in alignment. So I just came to just prophesy alignment over somebody's life. From today, whatever has been raging against you, we bring them into divine alignment. Whatever force that have been fighting you, we scream peace, be still. We bring them onto divine alignment. Let there be a supernatural alignment. Let the shackles of poverty be broken. We speak to poverty. We say peace, be still. We speak to sickness. We say peace, be still. We speak to rejection. We say peace be still. We speak to disappointment. We say peace be still. We speak to the forces of hell. We say peace be still. The attacks that come against you. Peace be still. Look at somebody and say peace.
be still. It was Jesus that called the trouble a name that was desirable because he could have just spoken and said raging cease I'm here calm down he did not call them the raging cease he called it the end because he wanted peace not a storm so from today I speak your end I speak prosperity I speak establishment I speak elevation I speak promotion I speak peace I speak what is desirable over your life it was beyond any form of argument because he was not going to exchange words with the sea or the storms that is why I said it was important for you to know that at that point what the theologians will call um, Jesus in his hypostatic union that he was fully God and fully man at that point he was fully God and he was speaking as one that was fully God but he was also in the man frame and so he was fully man but when he was speaking there was a language from him that men could understand and there was a language from him that the sea could understand because everything responds to the creator everything and so when the one that made the apple device gets the apple in his hands he knows how to fix it when there is a problem and so when Jesus was speaking to the to the seas the sea knew him of course he called them into being and so because he called them to being he did not need to touch it to being Jesus did not use his hands to create the waters and so if the waters are misbehaving, he doesn't need his hands to do it. He needed to speak it because he spoke them into being. We pray in the name of Jesus. We speak another word over you. Whatever thing that your life has encountered, we speak another word. We speak establishment over you. We speak that from today, may you break runs. From today, break runs. From today, take territories. From today, fulfill destiny. From today, may your course be enlarged. From today, may God expand your course. May the Lord enlarge your territories. May the Lord enlarge your course. May, may this be that season. May this be that season. May, may this be that season. I'm not talking about the future because it did not wait for another season for the sea to be still it became still at that very moment we speak the name of Jesus that every condition you are confronted with we speak the name of Jesus the Bible says at the mention of the name every knee must bow and every tongue We mention the name of Jesus. Every knee bows, every tongue confesses. So when Jesus was there, he did not need to mention his name. That I am Jesus. I am here. Obey me. He did not do that. It's, it's just like somebody get into his house and the house elves and the people who are in the house working, his domestic staff are misbehaving. When you get to the house, you, do not, you don't say, I am Michael. I'm the landlord. Obey me. Because whoever you are is known before your entrance. 
Your identity is not concealed. Your identity is revealed in him. So when you get to a place, it's the same thing. So Jesus will get to a place and, and somebody will be hunted by demons. And they will say, have you come to destroy us before our time? Reason was simple. Because his power preceded him. Let me just say this. Can I, can I pray for you? I have 20 minutes. Can, can I pray with you? There was the storm. There was the raging seas. But the people marveled. Because they began to wonder his kind. The word they used was what manner of man? What, what kind of man is this? We have seen all men. But it appears this one is different. We've encountered other people who profess some level of power and who lay claim to some level of authority. But this man is different. And what manner of man is this? That even inanimate objects obey him. There is a stretch of philosophical argument that says that whatever thing that has a name has an ear. It depends on who is talking. Whatever thing that has a name. So there are people who can look at a, a spoon and the spoon will levitate or suspend. They can look at something and lift it. You say lifting it with the power of your imagination. But if you understand what they are doing, you will realize that there are some protons and some electrons that are being transmitted through the power of the brain. And so there is communication. Although you can say it's spiritual. If it is spiritual, then for the thing to lift itself up, it means it had something. So in life, it is either you are hearing or you are being pulled. I want your right hand to be lifted because I want to pray for you today for the time that I have. And tomorrow morning, we do pastor's conference. Tomorrow evening, I want you to invite everybody that you know. Ask them to be here. We are not just going to preach the gospel. We want you to experience that Jesus' name is not just in theory. But his power is in practice. That his power is evident for all to see. If your right hand is lifted, I don't know the storms in your life, but I'm giving you some few minutes. I want you to speak to it. I want you to speak to the storm. I want you to speak to the raging seas. I want you to speak to the winds. I want you to speak to whatever thing that needs to be spoken to and tell it to be still in your life from today. That from today, whatever you have been confronted with will be still. Whatever you have been confronted with will be still whatever you have been confronted with come on now lift your voice and pray whatever you have been confronted with 
I want you to lift up your right hand if you may. I just want you to make a prophetic declaration over your life before I get into some little ministration with the time that I have. I want you to lift up your right hand. The Bible says, and you shall decree a thing. Jesus. Jesus doesn't have to be here to speak to the storms because you are here. The most sophisticated, complex machine and an edifice or building or construction in the world is you. God is so big that there is no house that can house him. There is no, if, if, you, if you do theater of dreams or old Trafford or you do the Benabau or the Camp No, you can house God because the earth itself is his footstool. He is so big that the earth is his footstool and the heavens is his throne. And yet this God lives on the inside of you. Which makes you a container of that which cannot be contained. Because God cannot be contained by anything and yet you contain him. Do you really understand what it means? It means that you are more powerful than you think. The regenerated man, the man that has come into what we call the supernatural consciousness, is a dangerous tool in the hands of God. He is powerful. With that same level of understanding and power, I want you to speak over your life and your family. Jesus. It's a prophetic destiny summit. Yes. It will be... Uh, it, 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 will, it will not serve me well for me to stand on this exalted altar, this august platform, 
and not allow you to plug into. Man of God, you read, you read the book of 1 Samuel. I know you've read it before and many, many times. 1 Samuel chapter number 9. And there is a prophet called Samuel. Chapter number 9. From the verse number 15. Samuel is being told by God. 1 Samuel chapter number 9. From the verse number 15. And the Lord spoke into the ears of Samuel. The day before Saul came saying. Oh, is there? Okay. Tomorrow about this time I'll send you a man out of the land of Benjamin. That you will anoint him to be captain over my people. Well, we read 17, 18, 19, and the Lord is giving this man a prophetic word through him uh, to, to, to the man called Saul. Saul gets to the place and he sees Samuel. And Samuel is coming and he goes to Samuel and asks him, could you please direct me to the house of the prophet? Which means that the title prophet that was on him, although he was the premier prophet of the land, he was not wearing it as a badge of honor. There was nothing on him that made him look like a prophet. But there was everything in him that made him a prophet. So being a prophet is not about a cassock. Because it's only in this generation that people think that the more you look, the more powerful you are. Because real power is supposed to be conspicuous. That is why you will never see a powerful malam advertising. They don't advertise. Because where the carcass is, there the vulture will gather. The vultures, they gather where the carcass is. So if you want it, get the carcasses. The vultures... God speaks to him. You get to the chapter number 10 from the verse number 1 and Samuel picked a vial of oil and poured it upon the head of Saul and kissed him and said is it not because the Lord has I thought they were is it not because the Lord has anointed you to be captain over his people? You read from the verse number 4 as you go into the hills of God you come into contact with the garrison of the Philistines and you see the prophets coming down with tabards and harps and, and with cymbals and you see them prophesying when you see the prophets prophesying don't wait for a word over your life the spirit of the prophets will come upon you you don't wait for a word but you prophesy with them and you'll be turned to another man Jesus. when you read a dialogue there you realize that the transformation of a man is not based on the oil that, was, that came upon him mm. But the connection with the right spirit and what he said in the presence of the right spirit. So when somebody is carrying the prophetic mantle and grace and you meet such a man or you meet, you get into such an atmosphere, don't wait for them to tell you, mommy, you're through, see, because that, you see that a lot. That's a gift God gives to people and brings direction. But really, if you want it, you don't wait for that to be giving. You know what? You connect with them. You prophesy with them and you are transformed to another man. 
I want your right hand to be lifted. I want somebody to connect and prophesy. You want to prophesy over your family. You want to prophesy over your friends. You want to prophesy over your children. You want to prophesy over your ministry. Yes. You want to, it's a prophetic destiny summit. You want to prophesy over everything that concerns you. Prophesy over your business. Prophesy yes. over your career. Prophesy yes. over your future. Yes. Prophesy yes. over yes. your children. Prophesy. Just give a prophetic word. Come on, prophesy. Come on, Lift your voice and prophesy. As you shall prophesy with them. Speak a prophetic word. Speak a prophetic word. Speak a prophetic word. Speak a prophetic word. Can I get you lifting up your hands? I want to now pray for you, minister to you, give you a precursor of what God will want to do tomorrow as well. Um, I'm just happy that I am here with you to share some few thoughts with you today or tonight. But I believe that God has something special for you today. Amen. So if your hands are up and your eyes are closed, I want to say this first of all, if you are sick in any part of your body, Jesus. if you are sick in any part of your body, Jesus. I want you to put your hand there because Jesus, hear me, Jesus, that's the name I've mentioned, Jesus. I'm going to mention that name seven times. If you are sick in any part of your body, yes. that sickness will succumb to the name. Jesus. That sickness will succumb to the name. Amen. Any part of your body Jesus. that is not well, whatever needs a divine fixing, whether it is your eyes, your ears, your nose, your throat, your heart, your liver, your kidney, your lungs, your waist, your knees, your back, your neck, your joints, headaches, from the crown of your head. Jesus! Jesus. To the soles of your feet. Yes. May the Yahweh. Over Israel. Who has opened the heavens to you today. Yes Lord. May the balm of Gilead. Jesus. Be administered right now. Amen. The Bible says. Is there no balm in Gilead? Jesus. And is there no physician? Yes. May the balm of Gilead yes, Lord. be administered on you right now. Jesus. May the greatest physician yes, Lord. Jesus touch you. Yes, yes. I see that right yes, now. Yes, From yes, the yes. crown of your head Jesus. to the soles yes, of your feet. Yes, yes, yes. Be healed right now. Yes, in Jesus' name. Yes, Two in the name of Jesus. Yes, Three in the name of Jesus. Amen. Four in the name of Jesus. Amen. Five in the name of Jesus. Amen. Six in the name of Jesus. Amen. Seven in Jesus' name. Amen. every part of your body Jesus. thank you Holy Spirit for this healing I see it right now so the healing grace just visited some people Jesus. I want you to check yourself right now just check now, now, now when you see 
I'm going to pray for some people. But when you check and you see that that condition is no more there, I want you to come. Let me seal it for you. I'd like to lay hands and pray for you and seal that testimony that the devil will not be able to exact upon you anymore. Just check it. Sing that song. Just check it. Now, oh, cross.